Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Um, just in case you didn't realise, today we're not doing a live stream, we're doing just a record of the uh, sermon only. So um, that'll be up on YouTube possibly tonight or uh, tomorrow. So we did put out a video today as well, letting those who may have clicked on looking for the live stream at sort of four o'clock and where is it? And we said, well, we've stopped doing that now because we can all come back and meet in person, which we thank the Lord for. So that's where we're up to with that. Um, Okay, so we are in the very last talk of uh, Genesis. We've been there for the last few months and today we are going to wrap it up. And as Simon has read from chapter 50, we're going to pick up a few verses here out of chapter 50 today. And again, just to help us set the scene as we think about this chapter and where we're going to go, have you ever wondered what an anchor does for a boat? Probably self-explanatory, but an anchor keeps a boat secured. Uh, it stops the boat from drifting off course uh, when the currents try and shift it. So if you're fishing somewhere, you drop the anchor over the side and then the boat might just float around a bit, but it just stops it from just drifting away and, and going off course. Or when a boat is caught in a storm, uh, you try and find a safe place and then you lower the anchor to keep the, cu- keep the boat from being blown away by the wind and the waves. Uh, the anchor is that piece of equipment, very small as it is, but normally very weighty and pointy, Uh, which is so vitally important to a boat. It actually holds it fast so it doesn't drift off course and just wander away. Uh, Today we want to look at an anchor that keeps Joseph secure while facing the fiercest storms and the most powerful storms of life, God's sovereignty, that keeps Joseph anchored and holding fast no matter what he's facing in life. It's a glorious picture here of what Joseph sees. So if you've got your Bible, let's follow one from where Simon was. We're going to read now verses 15 through 21. Uh, Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Uh, Lord, we thank you now that we can come and open up this last chapter of uh, Genesis. Uh, Lord, we ask and pray, let your spirit come now and open up this glorious anchor that we see here in chapter 50. Uh, What his brothers meant for evil... You, Lord, meant it for good, speaking to us of your sovereignty. Let this anchor be opened up to our hearts today, I pray, 
that it really would anchor our lives to, Lord, in what we face. Uh, We ask your help now, Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So, yeah, we are wrapping up this, uh, this series of Genesis here with a really powerful picture of God working in the life of Joseph. Uh, it's a remarkable story of God's providence and good sovereignty uh, performing his salvation plans and blessing through Joseph, but also through some very real evil actions that took place in Joseph's life. And as we said about probably two months or no, probably six weeks ago, uh, we said here as we got to this Joseph narrative between, between Genesis 37 and Genesis 50 that verse 20 was this overarching verse we had to hold here that would actually give us perspective of what's taking place in Joseph's life here in these last chapters of, uh, of, of Genesis. So today we want to unpack this here just to see how good God is in Joseph's life. Again, let's set the scene for Genesis 50. Uh, Jacob and his family have resettled back into the land of Egypt due to a worldwide famine. Uh, He's been reunited with his lost son, Joseph, who's now spent the last 17 years with him in Egypt. Prior to this, Joseph was actually sold by his brothers into an Egyptian slave market 40 years earlier by a very cruel and evil act. But Jacob has now spent the last 17 years reunited with his long-lost son. Now Jacob has died, as we see this in chapter 50, and the brothers are dead scared. They are dead scared now. They're thinking Joseph will want to square the ledger. He's thinking it's going to be payback time. It's time to call in what all that evil they did years ago to him. Uh, they've come to Joseph with a probable concocted story. The dad said that well, you need to forgive your brother's evil actions. We see no record of that in Genesis at all. They're probably just concocting some story to try and get it all good on their side of uh, things. Uh, and this then leads us to Joseph and this really God-saturated, powerful response to his brothers here in verses 19 and 21. And that's what we want to sort of focus in on today, is those three verses, using all of the rest of chapter 50 as our context. And our big idea as we think about verses 19 to 21 here is this. God sovereignly works in the lives of all believers and in their every action for their good. God sovereignly works in the lives of all believers in every action and for their good. Really, if you get to Genesis 50, it's like this sort of reader alert when you get to verses 20, 19, 20, 21. It's like a reader alert. You've got to stop and think about what's happening here. And that's what we're going to do today as we think about that. Uh, the scene here is set for us in this chapter. Uh, these brothers are guilt-ridden and they are fearful. They're fearful of consequences. They're actually guilt-ridden about what they've done and they come groveling to Joseph now that the father is dead. And they're begging for forgiveness. Please forgive us. And Dad told us you had to do this because we want to make sure that everything's all going to be sweet and okay with us. So they come groveling to Joseph. How's Joseph going to respond to this as they come to him in this way? Well, what Joseph says here in verse 19 is really powerful and really insightful at the same time. He says this in verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? It's a really good question he asks there at the end. In many respects, Joseph has a godlike figure or position in Egypt at that particular time. He's the second in charge after Pharaoh. Whatever Joseph says, 
happens. He has this really sort of godlike appearance. He's an immensely powerful person here who holds massive authority in the nation of Egypt, which was the world superpower of the day. All these people coming to buy grain had to come through Joseph to get that. What he said, it happened. And he says here in this response to his brothers, do you think I'm God? Do you think I'm God here? Really insightful what he says, because really what he's saying here is the underlying problem with all of humanity, full stop. And that is that we think we are God and that life somehow revolves around us as a little God in our own little world. This all happened back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided to rule their own lives instead of submitting to God their creator. They become little gods ruling in their little world. They wouldn't follow God's way. It was all about them. It was all about them choosing their way of living life outside of God's word. And this is what Joseph's brothers did with him 40 years earlier. They disregarded God and they followed their own evil actions to rule their own little world. Life was all about them. And what was Joseph? He was just a problem to their agenda. He was just an obstacle for them achieving their own selfish desires in their life. So what were they doing? They were playing God in their own little world. So what did they do back then? They decided we're going to kill him. We're going to remove this problem out of our lives because we rule our world. We don't want this person coming and upsetting our agenda. And you see, this is the foundational reason for why we have evil in this world. We all like to play God. We all like to control our life and we like to control the lives around about us as well at the very same time. Why do we see two little girls have a fight in the schoolyard? Well, one girl wants to rule the other girl. She wants to be God in this situation and she wants to have her way. Why do we see two people uh, demean or belittle each other at work? Well, we like to be God. It's all about me. It's my world and I rule this space. It's the foundational reason for why we have evil in this world. We like to be God and we like to control everything around about us. We want to play God because it's our world, we think, and we want to rule the world our way. But Joseph says, I'm not God. I'm not God. So humbling what he says here and so needed if we're ever going to see rightly into this world for ourselves and on behalf of God and living in his world. It's a humble recognition that I owe my life to God. It's not about me, it's about God who gives me breath. He's my creator and he is my sovereign ruler. Can you imagine if you or I were God? What a disaster that would be. It would be a disaster. Imagine if you or I were in control of the world. We think we could probably do a good job of it. No way. It actually would be hell for everybody else eventually. You see, you, you or I could never love people the way God loves people. See, we would love some people too much and too blindly, never really dealing with some of the defects in their life. We wouldn't love them enough to correct them. And some people that need lots more love, we would never give them enough love. Or imagine this, if we were trying to manage justice in this world, we would never manage justice the way God manages justice. Some people who deserve to go to jail, we would let them get off scot-free 
And others who've done horrible acts, we'd actually go, sorry, we'd let them get off scot-free and some who've done nothing wrong at all, we'd put them into jail. We would never administer justice the way God administers justice. We could never be that God that we should, we're, never, we're never meant to be. So Joseph gets it right here. He understands exactly where his place is. God is God. Joseph isn't God. And when Joseph sees this, everything changes for him. Everything changes for him. It changes the way he sees God, and it changes the way he sees other people as well. Let's follow that through. Joseph, in verse 20, recognises just who is in control of this world. He says here in verse 20 this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It's a complete flip of where he was in verse 19. I'm not God. I'm now going to tell you about this God, who it is. This is what Joseph is confessing here, and this is what God is communicating to us through this passage as we read it. It's here where we find this anchor for our souls as we see this opened up for us. We live in a world here that suffers under the weight of evil, both carried out by us and against us at the same time. And Joseph did. He experienced this evil firsthand. Firsthand in his life from his brothers particularly. Hated and picked on by his brothers right from the get-go, and particularly in those early years, He just was not the flavour of the month with those fellows at all. Jacob had four wives and he had one favourite out of those four wives, Rachel, and Joseph was the son of this favourite wife. But the brothers couldn't stand him. He suffered under their evil things all the time. And eventually, as we saw there earlier on, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the passing by slave traders, hoping to never see this problem brother whatsoever again. Joseph experienced first-hand evil uh, from his brothers, but he also experienced it from others as well, not just his brothers. He experienced it from Potiphar's wife. When he eventually got to Egypt and he got sold into Potiphar's household, she falsely accused him here of sexually assaulting her, and then he goes to jail. Again, he's suffering at the hands of others. Joseph also suffered while he's in jail uh, the hardship from Pharaoh's cupbearer. We saw there the, the dreams that he had, and Joseph rightly interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, and he said, hey, when you get out now, because I've told you what's going to happen, please say a good word for me so you can get me out of this hole of a prison he's in. Well, the cupbearer completely forgets about Joseph, and he spends another two whole years there, as it were, rotting in prison. He's suffering again, maybe not so much evil intent, but still suffering in this world. But notice what Joseph says here about all that in verse 20. He says, All this stuff done against me with evil intentions, God used it for good. God turns it all around and uses it for good. What's he telling us here about God when he says that? He's saying this, that God is sovereign. God rules. God holds ultimate control of this world and all the events that take place within it. God rules. He actually even said it earlier to his brothers when he was confirming his faith in God here. And it was back in Genesis 45, and he was saying the same thing to them. He says this when he first revealed himself to them. He said this, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Look at these next words. 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. Who sent him? Joseph says, God sent me. Verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. What does Joseph say again next in verse 7? And God sent me. Can you see where Joseph is going? He says, this is you, Lord. You've orchestrated, you've ordained, you've planned all these events. You are sovereign. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me, evil brothers, but God. Joseph gets the picture here. It's really, really clear. God is ultimately in control of everything that happens in this world. No one thwarts God's plans. No one upsets God's apple cart. No one catches God by surprise because something happened without God knowing about it. God is all over everything all the time. He doesn't raise a sweat. He doesn't lose any sleep because he doesn't need to sleep. And he doesn't have to lift a finger. His word is all-powerful. Now, I don't know at what point this truth of God's sovereignty dawned upon Joseph, but when it did, it changed everything for Joseph. It changed everything for him. Any anger or bitterness towards his brothers or towards Potiphar's wife or even the cupbearer, it just wasn't there. It just didn't appear. It just didn't come to the surface. How? How so? How could he be so secure when all that stuff's happened to him over all of those years? How could you do this, Joseph? Well, he trusted that God's good hand was working in all of that evil for his good. He could see who God was. He could see where God was working. He had faith in a sovereign God who was working in every detail of Joseph's life. He could see all that. Perhaps couldn't fully understand it, but he trusted and believed that God was working in that. Now, And this doesn't mean, okay, so if I trust that God's working in every situation, does that mean nothing bad or difficult will happen in my life because I'm God's uh, son or God's daughter? Will that mean I'll just go through life without any dramas? No. Now, what it does mean, though, is this. No matter what is happening in my life, whether it is good or whether it is bad, God will be using that to bring about my good and bring about his plans and purposes. In my own life, I can testify to that. I had quite a severe back injury in my late 30s. Uh, It was about 16, 17 years ago. Uh, Laurel and I had four young children at the time. I was the owner uh, with two brothers of a very successful business and I was living a relatively comfortable lifestyle at that particular time. I've been a follower of Jesus since about uh, the age of nine, so by that stage it was about 30 plus years or so. Uh, But then this back injury came along and brought this um, amazing degree of suffering into my life. I went through a number of years of tears and confusion. My wife and kids can all testify to that. Uh, I thought, what the heck is going on with my life? Uh, Did I enjoy this particular time? No. No. I was swamped by my circumstances and I was continually overrun by these thoughts. This is not how the story goes, God. 
This is not how I planned my life out, God. This is not sort of the way I thought things would be running in my life, Lord. God graciously and marvellously brought recovery to my body and my back. But at the same time, he absolutely dismantled me on the inside. Healed on the outside, but I was dismantled on the inside. Uh, God in this particular time gave me a beautiful and powerful revelation of himself that just stripped everything away on the inside. Everything slowly got pulled apart and just dismantled and sort of laid out before me. God gave me a new set of eyes. All of a sudden these eyes that are filled with his wonder and his glory. And now I see this world in its rightful place as he dismantled me and gave me this set of eyes. And out of that, this dismantling and then putting back together again, I want to grow in my knowledge of who this God is. That's working in my heart. So I enrolled in a Bible college and got some theological training. And then out of that, I want to share people about, uh, share to people about Jesus. He's so powerful and glorious in my life. And out of that, I want to help people grow deeper in meeting and discovering who Christ is in the gospel. And then out of that, I want to plant a church and gather a team of people to do this. And then out of that, here we are today. Probably a hundred or so people gathered here as part of Exchange Church. Where did all this series of events start? Well, in some ways it was written before I was even born, but in my time frame it probably started 17 years ago when I had this tremendous back injury. But God was actually using things that were difficult and hard to do something really, really good. That's what I'm saying. You want to say that God's sovereignly working through everything in our lives to bring about his glory and my good. Married at the age of 24, I love God, but I have no desire whatsoever to be a pastor of a church. Very happy to sit where you guys are sitting and enjoying that and just playing my role there. No desire to be up here at all. God sovereignly brings his plans about through all these circumstances of my life at that time, changes me. And now I am a pastor by God's grace. And I love it. I could think of nothing better to do than be standing up here and opening up God's word and sharing my life with you through God's word. Is it easy? No. It's probably far easier to go back on the orchard and work there, although my brothers aren't here today to hear that. I feel a major responsibility before God as I stand here and I know I've got a weight of responsibility because I want to open God's word up accurately and truthfully. And I feel deep pain when people don't grow in Christ or when people walk away from Christ. It's painful because it's eternal life that they're throwing away. So when I believe that God is sovereign, does that mean I'll understand everything that takes place in my life? including all those painful things. Does that mean I'll fully understand and grasp all that? Again, no. Sometimes we may see what God is doing and we can sit back and marvel at that. Sometimes we can actually see it all unfolding before I, and that's great when that happens. But there's other times in our life when we are going through all sorts of challenging situations and circumstances and the best that I can do is stumble along by putting one foot in front of the other. I can't see any further than the next step in my life. 
Sometimes we just can't actually see what's taking place in those hard and dark times. I think about Job. It's the classic here of suffering and challenging, but God's sovereignty working all this. The poor bloke probably had no clue what was taking place the day he lost all of his business and his ten children in the one day. Now, I never experienced anything like that. Now, perhaps after the event, Job might have, but through that whole period, you can't see what's happening. It's mysterious. And often God's hand is mysterious. We can't see these events that are unfolding before us. But this doesn't negate the fact, it doesn't rule out the fact that God is still working for my good through all of this. He is. He definitely is. God is taking all the circumstances of my life and your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the really, really ugly stuff. He's still taking all that. And as we trust in him, he's using all those things to bring about good in our lives. And you see, this is exactly where Joseph is. He trusts in God's sovereignty. And that radically changes him. Radically changes him. You see, Joseph understood that God is in control and not Joseph. Let's let's look how it changes. Look in verse 21 here as we see this change in Joseph. It says in verse 21, So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is gospel change here in the life of Joseph. This is gospel change and it's nothing short of radical. This is God's grace working in the heart of Joseph here as he unpacks this. Look at what he says. He says, so. And you might say, that's a really short word. What does that mean? He's saying this, so... Because I believe in God's sovereignty, because I believe in God's sovereignty, so do not fear. Because God is sovereign in my life, do not fear, brothers. Just a powerful picture we just see there, what he's building this do not fear off to his brothers. It's because he believes in God's sovereignty. This is the grace that's working in Joseph's attitude here. What would be the normal response, perhaps in the world today, if this situation was presented to someone else? someone who wasn't a believer in God, someone who just lived life as their own little God in their own little world. Here's how they probably respond. Today's payday, boys. Today's payday. 40 years I've been waiting for this. 40 long years I've been waiting for this, and today is payday. For all the rubbish you dumped on me 40 years ago, I'm going to pay you back. And you're going to feel it twice as hard as I felt it. That's how we probably will respond in the world. You put me through hell, I'm going to put you through double hell. You won't know what pain and misery is until I really pay you back. Maybe that's how you've reacted from time to time when someone's done something to you. Maybe you're here for the first time at exchange and you're thinking, yeah, I can, I can identify with that last response. I just really felt like squaring the ledger. glad you're here today because we want to tell you about Jesus who can set you free from that. Totally set you free from that. You see, because Joseph doesn't respond like that, does he? He doesn't say it's payday. He doesn't say it's payback time. The very ones who do deserve payback in many respects, what's he do? He loves on them and he speaks peace into their hearts. 
He says, don't worry, brothers. I'll look after you. Don't worry, boys. I'll provide for you and I'll provide for your kids. I'll look after all your needs. I love you guys. They're probably thinking, oh, I can't, what is Joseph on today? Doesn't he want to pay us back? He's saying, I love you guys. I'm going to look after you. You see, this is what the gospel does to us when we actually grasp the sovereignty of God, working through all these situations of life. God's love within us enables us to rise up above all the hurts that we've had and to love even our enemies, to love those who persecute us, to love those who do incredibly unkind things to us. It's a supernatural work that God does. And this is what the gospel unveils in our hearts. This is the power of the God's gospel to change our hearts, to love those who've hurt us so bad and so hard. Well, how does that work, Joseph? How does that work in your life? How does it work for us? When we see that God is sovereign in all things and his gospels open up our heart in a new way, when we see the person who's doing this evil action towards us, we actually see them in a whole new light. The offender who's actually hurting us is now seen as a broken, corrupted human being who desperately needs Jesus to redeem them. Sure, we don't go out looking for them to hurt us, but we see them in a whole new light. We see them as someone who's broken and corrupted. And in this particular point in time in life, we actually also, as we see that, we hold on to the truth that, God, you're working in this and you're working in it for my good. Now, that won't be easy to see. That'll be real and probably impossible to see in the heat of the moment. But we've got to keep believing in the heat of the moment that God's working through this for my good in this situation. We've got to pray that the Holy Spirit will grow in us this ability to keep believing that truth and keep focusing on that truth in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the hurt. God, I can't see it yet. I can't see it, but I'm believing you are working something good in my life through this pain, through this challenge. Through God, I can't see it at the moment, but I'm going to believe that you're working in this for my good. Help me to bear up in this, Lord. Help me to patiently go through this. Help me to have my eyes open here to see and believe you're working for my good in the middle of this. Really difficult. But God can do that, and he will do that. What are some of the good things that maybe God can bring in these situations for us when we're going through these challenges? Here's a few that might possibly happen. God may choose to grow a deeper compassion within us for others. That's a good thing, as we experience perhaps difficult times. It grows a compassion within us as we actually face up under that pressure And we can sympathise with others perhaps going through a similar thing. Here's another good thing God can do. He may sovereignly choose to use those difficult circumstances that we go through to show us the despair of this world or the brokenness of this world and the converse of that is to enlarge our affections for God. As we see how desperately broken this world is, we somewhat get weaned off this world And we're growing more in love with who God is as he redeems us out of this world. That could be some good God is doing in those situations and circumstances. Here's something else God may sovereignly do as we face various circumstances in our lives. He may actually be redirecting our lives. 
He may be changing us within and changing us for newer and higher purposes. God may be unsettling us through challenging times, perhaps to prepare us for global mission work, disturbing our hearts, disturbing our lives, doing something really, really good, preparing us perhaps for global missions. Don't be surprised if God does that. God often works by firstly disturbing us and unsettling us and then realigning our heart with new desires and new affections. God sovereignly works through that. Here's something else God could be doing through really painful circumstances in our life. God could be bringing us home to glory. Sometimes people die really, really young in tragic circumstances. It's a tragedy for us, but it's actually good for them because they are eternally united with God. That's a good thing God can do in his sovereign will and sovereign purpose. We may not understand why someone in their uh, early age of life is cut down. Maybe God just brought them home. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for that one who's gone home. Let me close here uh, with this most glorious piece of God's good sovereign purposes being worked out through really, really evil actions. Let's hear what Peter the Apostle says on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him, uh, through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Let me read that again. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In case you didn't see it, that's got God's sovereignty written over that verse. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Here's the most evil thing to do in the world, to kill the Son of God. At the hands of lawless men, you've crucified and killed the Son of God. But look, it's God in his sovereign plans that has ordained these evil actions to bring about good. Good out of evil actions. What's God achieving through this evil action? He's achieving our salvation. What an amazing good that Jesus is doing for us. Right there in that verse. Is that not the perfect demonstration of God's good sovereignty? He's a sovereign who's good. And even in the middle of horrendous evil actions, he's doing good. He's achieving our salvation. God sends his son to take our place on the cross to bear all of our sins so that we can be forgiven. That's a glorious good on our behalf, done through really evil actions. You see, when you get this, God's sovereignty, it's an anchor for our souls. It's an anchor for our souls right in the middle of really hard and difficult stuff. It's one of the most powerful truths about God you can ever come across. It has sustained believers in Christ for years and years and years. When the storms of life are blowing a gale upon us from every direction and everything seems like a hopeless mess, when all of our circumstances seem like nothing but despair... And when things aren't going according to our plan, rest assured, God is in control. He's working for our good. 
You see, God's sovereignty is an anchor for our soul that frees me from worry, frees me from anxiety to love and serve God no matter what is happening, but also to love and serve other people. I can trust a good God who's in control of my life. This is what we see here in the end of Genesis. It's a staggeringly powerful and huge picture of who God is. God is sovereign. God is good. And he can be trusted in everything. Let's pray. God, we thank you today as we close out this book of Genesis. We thank you, Lord, today we have this glorious opportunity to just see uh, Joseph's response to his brothers. What you meant for evil... God has meant for good. Bringing about the salvation of Joseph's family and extended family. God, I pray please that your spirit open up our hearts today to take this rock-solid belief of God's sovereignty working in our lives and let it become a rock that we can stand on, Lord, that we can build our faith in no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are going through. Absolute mysterious Hardship that we cannot see what's happening in the next day before our very eyes. I pray, God, please let your spirit work in our hearts this absolute picture here that we can trust in God's sovereign care over our lives. And it will be simply get up and the next day we put one foot in front of the other foot, loving you, serving you, obeying you, and trusting, Lord, that you are working this out for my good and for your glory. We ask that the Holy Spirit, please open our hearts up in that, I ask. Lord, we commit that to you now and ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 